Just a couple of quick announcements before we dive into this week's episode of the Basically Good Podcast. If you have not checked out our website recently and you've been hunting for some dice, now's the time to jump on over there. Uh, we just had a huge overhaul. There's two D20s for sale right now, as well as two, uh, well, actually, maybe three. Check, check. I'm working on one right now as the time of recording. Uh, maybe three full sets available on our website. That is basicallygoodpodcast.com slash shop. Go check it out if you are interested in any of those things. That's been the biggest update we had this last week. I'm sorry for the kind of the delay getting those in there. We're slowly churning these out, trying to stock that up and keep that stocked as much as we possibly can. Thank you, everyone who came out last week for mini painting. It was a blast. I know it was a weird time. That is available on our YouTube channel. Go ahead and check that out if you missed it and you want to watch some soothing uh, mini painting. We painted a, a half dragon or a dragon folk, as it were. So it was a lot of fun. New setup. Uh, two cameras going at one time was kind of fun, so check that out if you haven't done so. Last but not least, we're rapidly approaching the end of the month here, so all of our patrons will be gearing up for our movie night. Uh, that is going to be on the last week of this month. We just wrapped up nominations here in the Discord not too terribly long ago. October. We also are on Twitch. Follow us at the Basically Good Podcast. 15. We also are on Twitch. Follow us at the Basically Good Podcast. 2021. At 7 p.m. Central Time. Um, if you are not part of our Discord, head on over to our Twitter at basicallygpod. Click the link tree there, and you can find a link directly into the Discord. That's where we have most of our updates uh, post regularly, as well as news on upcoming things. So go ahead and head on over there. Also follow us on social media, like I mentioned, at basicallygpod on Twitter, basicallygoodpodcast on Instagram. And we also are on Twitch. Follow us at the Basically Good Podcast. We also have a Facebook page as well. Those are the best places to keep all up to date with everything that is coming down the pipe. We'd love to have you follow along. That is all the announcements I have for today. Please enjoy this week's episode of the Basically Good Podcast. Mommy's home! A young human girl with strawberry curls skips up to Aaron as he reads in a comfy chair in the light of a window. Aaron sets the tome aside and scoops up the child gracefully. Is that so, my sweet little bird? A human woman in dark robes enters the small one-bedroom apartment, setting down a small bag full of scrolls and books. She lets down her long, dark hair and wraps her arms around Aaron and the child. Yes, Emmett, I'm home. I'm home. Mommy, look! Emmett squirms out of their grasp and takes off towards the dining table. She proudly presents a piece of parchment with crude drawings of some type of multi-armed beast. Ah, 
And what's this? Another monster from the elven forests? No, Mommy, it's an angel. Oh, oh, of, of course. Aaron told me about them. He said they play all kinds of instruments and songs and can sing and are really pretty. Are... are you an angel, Mommy? <laughs> no, my dear, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not. Nonsense. She is an angel. She has both the beauty and the voice of a celestial. Aaron picks up the woman and swings her around. <laughs> Aaron, please, put me down. <coughs> Elora, are you okay? Elora grabs a handkerchief from her pocket and coughs into it. <coughs> I'm, I'm fine. I just, just a cough I picked up today. Are you sure? I've heard some murmurs of something going around. Yes, my love. Everything's fine. Now, Emeth, tell me, tell me more about these angels. Emeth immediately starts ranting to Alora, and she, as she slowly slides the handkerchief back into her pocket, and we fade to black as we see the rag is covered in blood. We open to see a crowded shop, wall to wall, with desperate, disheveled people clutching cloths over their mouths with one hand and flailing household objects in the other. Behind the counter, we see a large man with a bandana tied around his face, shouting at the crowd of citizens. Amongst this crowd, we spot Aaron, squeezed in between two brutes. We see the thin elf wearing a cloth mask and holding his wooden bracelet in one hand. The shopkeeper meets eyes with him and motions for him to approach the counter. Aaron worms his way through the crowd and is pressed hard into the bar. He lays the handmade bracelet on the counter, and the shopkeeper snatches it and begins to examine it. After a few turns, he scoffs and tosses it back towards Aaron. This ain't even magical. What am I supposed to do with this? But it's handcrafted, and it's, it's made from a rare wood from outside the city. It's got to be worth something. If it's not magical, it's not worth a gold sale. Please, it's all I have left, and I need medicine. <laughs> you hear that? This elf is broke and needs medicine. The crowd scoffs and jeers angrily at Aaron. Come back when you've got something worth my time. The shopkeeper waves for someone else to approach, and the crowd absorbs Aaron. After a few moments, he is expelled from the back and falls onto the cobblestone street outside the shop. He gathers himself and slips the bracelet onto his wrist. He begins to make his way through the empty city streets. He eventually passes by another crowd of angry citizens outside a pair of golden gates. Beyond the gates are marble steps to an enormous gold cathedral. The Bank of Abadar is closed until further notice by order of the Queen. Any coin you have stored will be safe with us until the end of this epidemic. Please go home says a man in white and gold robes with an assortment of keys dangling from his belt. The crowd panics at these remarks and starts to tug on the golden gates. Armored hell knights lock halberds and start to intervene. Aaron quickly walks to the other side of the street, avoiding the conflict. 
hand. He passes by a group of four others watching the crowd. One of them sports white and gold robes like the man behind the bars, but the others look to be of the adventuring type. As Aaron walks past, he hears the robed man say, Just follow me closely and I'll get you through those gates. Aaron walks for some time until he reaches a long stone bridge that spans the channel separating the city from the mainland. He crosses and enters a diminished version of the city he just came from. Garbage and broken glass litter the street. Aaron is alone, save for a few people resting on the side of the street. Their eyes are shut and their faces are consumed by red blotches. Aaron starts to question if they're resting or perhaps he shakes his head as to forget that idea and continues on. He reaches the end of the street and approaches a disheveled apartment complex. He walks up to one of the doors on the first floor and raps on the door with a unique knock. He waits for a moment, but there's no answer. Concerned, he knocks again. The street is silent. We pan away and watch Aaron slamming on the door as we fade to black. Elora! Aaron raps hard on the shoddy door in front of him. He reaches down to try the knob once more. No good. It's locked shut. Frantic, he uncovers the brick in the walkway from the street for the spare key. But he is met with only wet soil. He stands and rolls up his sleeves. All right, stand back. I'm coming in. He mutters an incantation and a missile of force flies from his hand, crumpling the door in on itself. Quickly, he steps over the wreckage and enters the quaint apartment. Aaron stops abruptly. Before him lies Emeth, wrapped in the arms of Alora. Behind the red sores that cover both their faces are two expressions of peace. Aaron rushes to their side, falling to his knees gracefully. He holds his hands to their blotchy skin. No pulse. They're gone. Aaron holds them both tightly, no longer caring about the contagious pustules. He lays with his family and weeps. After some time, he notices a faint glow radiating from Alora's hand, something wrapped in parchment. He unravels the paper to reveal a letter and a gemstone, casting a violet sheen on the floor. He takes it into his own hand and feels a warm sensation coming from within, pulsing ever so softly. The letter is addressed to him. Aaron, my love, the past three years have been the best of my life. You are truly a gift from Shaylin herself, a gift I do not deserve. I know life with me hasn't been easy. And yet you stay. You've loved Emmeth as your own. That have been the father that she's needed for so long. I'm so sorry. This burden seems too heavy to bear, but I know it's the right thing to do. And I knew you would disagree, which is why I must do this alone. It was quick and easy. I took the drink from the men who came earlier. Just know that we felt no pain in our passing. 
And although I will move on from this plane, I have found a way to save our child. At the academy, I lifted a scroll from Master Velmore. On it, a spell that can capture one's soul before they pass. I know not how to bring her back, but I do know that you can make it happen. Aaron, give her the life that she deserves. A life far away from this wretched city and its malevolent queen. A life where a life where she will continue to know the love that only you can give her. I love you, Aaron. Please forgive me. Until we meet again. Elora. The hot noontime sun hangs high in the air as Aaron stands in the empty plot of land behind Elora's house, which in many ways is still his home. His body looks malnourished and unwashed. His eyes are sunken and gray. His mind is thinly present as he clings to the past few years. The elf shovels at a mound of freshly dug dirt. Tears roll down his eyes as he pours the dirt on two cloth-woven bodies. As he finishes the grave, he falls to his knees. Imith. My sweet little bird. Magical girl. I'm so sorry I couldn't heal you. I tried so hard. I couldn't save you. Please forgive me. Elora. I love you. This, this doesn't feel right. I need you. clutches the stone hanging from his neck. I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I can do this without you. I, I, I don't know if I'm strong enough to, to raise her just to see her die again. I, I, I promise I'll keep her safe. But I'm already breaking apart. Aaron stands up and walks into the shade of his home. He sits down at the kitchen table and he looks out the window. Memories form on the white window shades as sunlight pierces through. Aaron weeps as he drifts deeper into the sweet visions. The elf approaches a bridge and finds a mass of civilians in front of a line of hell knights. The crowd hurls insults at the stoic guards as they stand motionless in their ebony plate mail. Let us through! We've got children! You've got to let us pass! Get out of our city and go back to hell! Through all of this, the Hell Knights don't budge. One of them steps forward. By order of the Majesty, the Queen of the Crimson Throne, Iliosa Aberasti. Old Corvosa is hereby quarantined until the blood veil epidemic has been eradicated. Return to your homes. This is your final warning. 
anger boils inside him, and he is not alone. The crowd of citizens begin to uproar. The screaming and shoving picks up, and soon the crowd begins to surge forward towards the bridge. The elf is caught by the momentum of the crowd and is pushed towards the Hell Knights. Soon, insults are the only thing being hurled at them. Rotten food, glass bottles, and rocks start sailing through the air and clash against black armor. The Hell Knights draw their blades and move in a disciplined line towards the advancing mob. The mob rushes forward, armed with nothing but fists and the odd club, but it is no match for Hell Knight steel. The elf is jostled and tossed about in the wave of angry citizens. Row after row of old Corvosians are cut down by the dark swords, and eventually he is thrust towards the wall of Hell Knights. He raises his hands in surrender, but is met with the hilt of a longsword to his temple, and his vision goes black. Not long after, we see the crowd has been dispersed, and the Hell Knights walk among the dead. A Hell Knight walks over to the elf's body. His chest rises with raspy breaths. The Hell Knight pats him down and turns out his pockets. He pulls out a few pieces of parchment, one of which is signed, Aaron. The Hell Knight throws these aside. He picks up Aaron's hand and examines the bracelet. He drops his hand, uninterested, and goes to stand up. Before he turns away, he spies a glowing light coming from under Aaron's tunic. He pulls out a makeshift necklace, yanks it away from Aaron's neck. He stares at the glowing black crystal inside his hand, and then slides it into his pocket and continues on his way. Aaron awakes lying in an alley next to a pile of corrupted bodies. He jolts up and begins looking all over his arms and hands. No boils. His hands grasp at his neck and finds the crystal missing. He looks all around him, turning over bodies very carefully. This can't be happening. He bolts out of the alley and begins to make his way back to the bridge. Everyone is gone, and the bridge has been collapsed. And then it sets in. The crystal is gone. He looks out over the waters, past the city of Corvosa, to a cliff along the coast. It is there he sees a far-off, dark speck that he knows is Citadel Vraid, home of the Hell Knights, Order of the Nail. We are now panning over crowded city streets full of citizens, waving red and black flags. The streets appear to be war-torn, but are packed with people celebrating. We pan through the streets quickly, seeing flags with red and black paw print hanging from the windows. Ahead of us, we see a gargantuan red pyramid with a black keep atop of it. It is here that we focus to see thousands gathered by the giant castle gates. And in this crowd, we see Aaron looking up at a group of people on the ramparts. We see a tall, chelish man with a short beard wearing glistening plate mail, a radiant longsword at his hip, and a bejeweled crown atop his shoulder-length black hair. There are two men to his right and three to his left. But Aaron, Aaron notices the three to his left as the adventurers he saw outside the Golden Gates that day so long ago. 
He looks and sees a tiefling with a flowing black duster and a wide-brimmed hat. A tattered mask covers his face. Next to him is an elf with short silver hair, sharp features, and a missing left ear. He wears black leather armor and carries four rapiers on his back, with the handles poking over the right shoulder. A long-pocketed scarf covers his neck, and tucked inside lines a pseudo-dragon. Next to the elf, we see a human man with unruly dark red and brown hair, leathery skin colored like clay. His rugged face holds a tender expression. He has a thick brow and a square jaw with a short beard. He wears celestial plate armor ornamented with a sun on his chest in a pattern of lions. And then on his hip, we see a legendary glowing sword. Over time, it appears the sword has marked his leather sheath with gentle curving lines that all coil around the center. The two on the other side of this king, one is that of a noble dwarf with a large iron crown on his head. He sports a thick red beard. On his back, we, he has a legendary bow strung, and on his hip, he has an ancient but potent magical hand axe. He, to his right, we see a slender and slightly shorter than average, kind-looking human. He has black hair, olive skin, dark gray eyes with flecks of green. He wears a short red cloak over his torso. Gold wreaths of fire line the fabric's edges. Dark green trousers and black boots with subtle runes etched in the heels. Aeon stones rest in the air around his head, and a small wisp of flame floats nearby him. We see the human king with the crown on his head hold out his hand to the crowd. Attention, good people of Corvosa. It is I, your new king, Alvaron del Hammerfell. The crowd around Aaron lets out a deafening cheer of approval. I am here to announce that by taking the throne from that wicked queen, from this day forth, I will bring about a new era of peace and prosperity to our beloved city. But this would never have happened if not for the heroism of these men here today. Alvron motions at the three men to his right. Durus Stoutarm, Frexo Stormswallow, and Mordric the Red, without the big dogs who play to win, this city would have been destroyed. I now officially deem them lifelong heroes of Corvosa and allies to the Crimson Throne. I now promise you that you will no longer have to worry of plague, assassins, or devils in the streets. I and Iomide, her name be praised, will stand vigil over each and every one of you to make sure what has happened here will never come again. I would like to announce that the Crimson Thrones, private military, the Grey Maidens, be officially disbanded. The Sun, Moon, and Skull tribes of the Shuanti are now official allies of the Crimson Throne. And the nation of Yonderhof, of my dear friend Dwahir Ironcrown, he motions to the Dwarf King, are now once again our allies. And finally, the Hell Knights Order of the Nail are officially relieved of their duties to the Crimson Throne and will be leaving Varicia for Cheliax immediately. 
The crowd goes wild. Tears of joy stream down the faces of those citizens nearest him. Yet, Aaron seems lost in thought at hearing the words of this new king. Blackout. Aaron's dining room is patterned with open books and loose parchment. A large architectural drawing rests at the center of the table. The image of Citadel Braid lay marked with X's, arrows, and question marks, all written in red ink. Aaron walks into the dining room as he rests a backpack on an empty chair and sits at the table. They're gone now. I can be brave. No, if I was brave, I would have gone while they were still here. I told Alora I would keep her safe. Why am I such a coward? I know they took it with them. They are greedy devils. But I'm going tonight, before I miss the chance. There are more devils coming through, and they want to erase everything, burn everything. He fondles a hand-strung rosary bracelet. Painted birds decorate the beads. Aaron bows his head and prays for Shaylin's grace and forgiveness. After finishing his prayer, he cracks open the yellow fabric cover of his spellbook and prepares the spells for the evening. As the sun begins to fall, he collects his pack and dons his cloak. And as he leaves his home, we see a hooded, tall figure walking a narrow mountain pass. As he skirts the edges of the cliffs, rubble falls toward the gulf hundreds of feet below. In the distance along the gulf is a sprawling city, and at its center is a large pyramid. As the figure turns away from the city, it approaches an immense castle. Three black keeps rise from the mountain, connected by walkways that bridge treacherous chasms. Each of them ordained with elaborate demonic faces leering down from its ramparts. In addition to the numerous steel-shod towers protruding upwards like pikes from the citadel's heart, the figure removes its hood to reveal Aaron's face. He glares up at the giant black gate, and as we move closer, we see a seal above the gate depicting a sunburst made of nails with an inscription below it written in a hellish script. Blackout. Aaron, donning a black hooded cloak, makes his way through a massive hallway lined with paintings of regal hell knights. He approaches a set of double doors and slides one open. He enters an enormous hall full of bookshelves. Scraps of paper litter the floor and all the shelves appear to be barren. He treads quietly as he searches amongst the ruined library, searching diligently. He notices a file crammed underneath one of the many desks lining the room. He bends down and retrieves it. 
The desk creaks as it appears someone had apparently used this to balance the desk. The file reads, Archive 314, Miscellaneous. He thumbs through the old file. Isker, Beginning, Order of the Nail, Hell Knight, Hill, Origin, Breach Hill, Citadel, Alterin, Home. Before he can finish, the door of the library creaks open again. Aaron ducks behind one of the bookshelves, peeking at the front doors. Three Hell Knights, clad in ebony plate mail, enter the room. Oh, shite! Would you look at this? This is gonna take days to sort through. You knew what was coming when you joined the Order of the Rack. Yeah, but I didn't realize this Order of the Nail blokes would leave the castle looking like a shitter. I mean, look at this. The Hell Knight kicks a pile of papers. Our orders are to destroy every scrap of parchment that mentions the Order of the Nail, no matter what. I know, I know, the Hell Knight sighs. Well, boys, looks like we're going to be in Varicia longer than we thought. Let's get to burning. Aaron creeps into the shadows as the Hell Knights begin to gather the scraps of paper and break down bookshelves. Aaron slides out of a back door as the library begins to go up in flames. We open and we see that Aaron is walking through a heavily wooded forest. Warm yellow sunlight leaks through the wooded canopy, leaving small beads of sweat on Aaron's brow. Heavy bags hang from his eyes. His elven skin has already started showing light hues of green. How long have I been running? He thinks to himself. He tries to recall how many days it's been since he's fled Corvosa, but the numbers quickly turn to fog. The thick smell of sap pulls his mind back to memories of his home. He distantly hears the feathery voice of his father singing. Would he be disappointed in me? The question stung as it entered his mind. As the pain dulls, he remembers that he's lost. As he walks, he half-heartedly speculates if he is in Uskwood or the Fangwood. His negligent eyes catch a glimpse of a figure moving between the distant trees. Elora? He questions. Elora! He calls out. He runs. His boots crush the leaves. A crescendo of wind and churring insects fill his ears, but as quickly as he finds relief, it vanishes as a doe darts out from behind a tree. Aaron's knees hit the dirt. A large shadow passes over him as a white feather floats down in front of his gaze. Aaron paces back and forth, looking at the different streets that branch off from this main town square and then back at a list of smudged notes drawn on his forearm. I don't mean to pry, but are you lost, friend? Oh, um, is it that obvious? Not at all. I've just got a keen eye, I guess, for those who are in need of some help. Are you new to this town? Yeah, I've just arrived here today, and I have no clue where anything is. I see. Well, then I believe you need this more than I do. The man hands over a folded pamphlet. Aaron accepts and opens it to reveal a tourist guide and a map of Breach Hill. Oh, I love a good tourist guide. This is perfect. Are you sure you don't need it? No, no, not at all. I I think I can manage without it. Enjoy your time here, friend. I hear it's a good place. Thanks. So... 
Yeah, that's basically what happened. Oh my god, Aaron, I'm... I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's okay. No, I mean... Aaron, like... It's not okay. It's okay, it's okay not to be okay. Don't... Don't just shove that under the rug, dude. Yeah, you're right. It's... It's just been like this for a long time, so... Yeah. I'm sorry if we've never asked. Yeah. I mean, you have. I've just dodged it like every time. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, oh. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> well, Aaron, I appreciate you telling us and... Uh... Losing somebody close to you isn't easy and... Oh, I'll be fine there. Yeah, Aaron, I know what it's like to be chasing someone and sometimes forget why you're even doing it or if they're even still there and what you're going to do when <laughs> or if you find them. I don't know. I question whether or not Carrie will be able to look at me the same after all these years, too, or or what? But I'm with Frizz. I'm here to help you find her. So you can make that decision when the time comes. And fear is normal. Trust me, I... You speak of being a coward, but... I mean, look at me. I ran away from home. I endangered many people because of my fear. Not that it's right. But it's natural. And I think you mustering up the courage to talk about it is a huge step. And like Hilary said, we're here to help so that you can make the decision. Two elves, though, you guys live forever. I don't, uh, I can't fathom that. I can't fathom that decision. <laughs> I do not envy you. There's, um... Yeah, it's hard being immortal. Long lifespans. Frizzy Gig, we will remember you in ten years from now. <laughs> You're six <laughs> feet under from old age. <laughs> what? what do you mean? Oh my god, Urkel. I'm just like, my god, Dear Lord. Wow. <laughs> Imagine just like not knowing that people die from Oh my god. They just die from like... I mean, that is like kind of accidents. a goblin thing. It's it not like that they die of old age. Yeah. They're just like kind of nuts and they just yeah. they like die young yeah <laughs> rip well uh, I mean I can only speak for myself but I've only lived you know 80 or 90 years on my own so I really haven't had the feeling that I'm immortal or I'm gonna live a long time but I've heard stories and been given warnings that it's not worth it to go out and to to befriend too many mortals or humans or I've had so many family members just look me in the eye and this kind of solace, this painful solace that comes with seeing people you love die over and over again you know yeah they call it forlorn 
for elves. And then if it takes too much of a toll, we don't come back. We stay forlorn. It's scary. It is. Has driven a lot of our kind to hold themselves up in their forests, their trees, their towers. I think it's a risk worth taking. Obviously, you've taken that risk, Aaron. I want to follow your footsteps. Did you get any information from Vote when you confronted him on the roof? All he mentioned was the country of Katapesh. But he said that there was a man there and I wouldn't find him. Katapesh. It's across the world. Well, I guess we have a place to go then. <laughs>